the New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Guerrilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode 238. I'm Paul Spain. I'm Bill Bennett. And I'm C.B. Woodhouse. Welcome along, gents. Great to have you back. Thanks for having us back. Now, let's jump straight in. A couple of little local news items. Uh, We've got some leadership changes going on, Bill. First at uh, at Spark, I guess we've known known this was coming for for some time. Yep, Chris Quinn is off to the supermarket business, and Jason Paris has moved into his role. And at the time of, I think at the time of recording, we still don't know who's replacing Jason Paris. Oh yes, in his previous role. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I haven't heard anything there. And uh, Microsoft also a bit of a a bit of a shuffle there as uh, Paul Muckleston is. Uh, is moving from the, the managing director role in New Zealand to, I think, an as yet un, uh, unnamed other role within Microsoft, and uh, Barry Shears is stepping into the role. Yeah, I don't know Barry. Do you know Barry? No, apparently he's coming back from uh, 30 years working abroad. So, uh, yeah. He'll have a funny accent. Maybe so, maybe so. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, now that's it on that. Now, uh, let's jump in. The first ga- gadget that I wanted to talk about, uh, in the US I picked up a Pioneer uh, head deck for, for in-car use um, because it had uh, CarPlay and Android Auto capabilities, which I was quite interested in looking at. What I'd actually missed was Pioneer have actually launched, launched a local New Zealand product. Uh, so as I was doing a bit more research when I got back, I just found they'd very quietly released uh, released locally. So there is now uh, that that option to uh, to get Android Auto and uh, and Apple CarPlay in one head deck uh, into a vehicle. Now, of course, lots of vehicles these days you can't really actually change what's in there because the the way that the vehicles are designed now don't really allow you to put an aftermarket uh, stereo in. Yeah, you've seen my Honda. And, and just about every other car, yeah, right? Yeah. It's, so uh, you can have a 1989 Ford Laser with a, an Airplay head deck, but yeah, <laughs> a couple of years old car, never going to happen. <laughs> You're right. So we're caught with that cha- that challenge of new cars and keeping the technology up up to date. And when I, when I was with Ford in, uh, in Silicon Valley recently, I looked at their new bits and pieces, and they've uh, they've advanced to their their I guess their third generation platform. Uh, Ford Sync, and this one is based on uh, BlackBerry's technology, based on on QNX, which seems to be very popular with the automakers, uh, and that that's quite capable in terms of integration with uh, Spotify and, and Pandora uh, and so on. So that's good, but I I actually think there's a there's a sort of a an issue there with um, the fact that whatever you buy for your car, unless it's Android. Auto or Apple Play is going to generally date pretty quickly, right? Yeah, well, if the auto automakers are uh, basing their technology strategy around BlackBerry stuff, it's no wonder that they're needing bailouts, if you ask me. <laughs> well, it's I mean, it, it's a platform that's been specifically designed for that, and it's a, you know it's a step up from from what people were using before. But uh, yeah, I mean, very soon new cars will be able to have it. Will have Apple Play and will have Android Auto, and that sort of takes all the smarts. Or the reliance on smarts and puts them back in the phone, and of course the phones are are updating all the time, and I think that's the that's really the right approach. Yeah, have a neutral sort of head deck. But what was what was? I don't know where Microsoft are going to fall fall into this. Where their phones will go? Well, I was going to say one of the weird things about this whole game is that a few years ago, I remember seeing the first the first cars appearing that had um, 
iPhone, iPod type connectors. And I think they've just reached New Zealand just about the time Apple changed the connectors on iPhones and iPods. So, so yeah, it's not a, it's not a very, I mean, the, the auto market is a long way behind the tech market and it innovates at a much lower pace. I read somewhere that it takes them three years to get something from an idea into a car. So, yeah, I went to the US oh, probably last year and rented a nice uh, new Mustang with a convertible and things, and it had something called Microsoft Link or Sync or something in it. Yeah, yeah, Sync. Sync, yeah. And um, yeah, the whole thing made me want to punch it because it was, you know, iPod compatible, but I was trying to use an Apple phone with like Microsoft technology and it was like blue screening and just like generally like a horrible, blue screening. like, it, yeah, literally a horrible experience. It would like, I'd play a certain song and it would like reboot the car and like the air conditioning <laughs> would stop and I was just like wanting to completely punch it. But um, the interesting thing playing with your head unit that I thought was really cool is that um, I hadn't actually had a chance to play with CarPlay before tonight, so it was good to have that little opportunity. But um, I kind of assumed that car manufacturers were going to have to get locked into, um, you know, vendors. So if they were an Apple CarPlay supporter, then Apple would make them sign some sort of contract and you wouldn't be able to use your Android. And then sort of depending on whether you're an Apple or an Android person, it would make a decision about which car you've got. But your head unit was really cool and it was sort of would support the Google world and support the Apple world yeah. and you could just sort of seamlessly change between depending on what phone you had. So that's really interesting to see that cars hopefully will support Probably, probably a Google world, a Microsoft world, and an Apple world, and you'll just be able to kind of choose the interface that will, you know, based on your phone that you want, which will be really interesting. And thank goodness they haven't gone proprietary in their own little proprietary world with these things. That would just be appalling. Yeah, well, we'll we'll, we'll see how it pans out, but it's certainly look, looking good at the moment. And the, I guess the things that you know stood out for me is just you know how easy it is to do your text messages and your calls and those basic things. Uh, play music, you know. In in the case of uh, you know with with on the Apple side on the CarPlay side, uh, you know uses the built-in Siri capabilities. But all those smarts are coming from your phone, so you can uh, in some cases play a podcast based on the name. I found that kind of variable. There are a few things that were a bit hit and miss. Uh, navigation varied, and the main frustration with CarPlay was that it doesn't support Google Maps. So you you're using yeah. Apple's uh, Maps, and I find Google is just better in terms of its traffic predictions and and so on and you know even in silicon valley when i was uh you know test testing uh, apple maps versus uh you know google maps there uh you know you'd kind of think well this is you know home of apple it's you know they're going to be they're going to be handling it well there but there were quite big variances between what uh, uh google maps and and uh, apple maps were sort of offering in terms of their recommendations to routes and how long they were going to take one of the things that bothers me is that uh, if, you, if something goes wrong with your phone, you don't like the phone, it's not working as you'd want, so it's a grand to upgrade. Car, 60 grand. <laughs> yeah, so I, th I think that's, that's a nice thing. Of, as we move into a world where uh, you know, you're abstracted from needing the, you know, the AV systems to keep upgrading uh, because you're relying on, on CarPlay or Android Auto, it should solve a few issues there because you know at the moment whatever you know as you say it takes a long time for them to develop the tech that goes into a car and then as soon as you bought that car uh, it's sort of out of date because there's going to be a new something coming along pretty quickly and you know it's certainly uh, yeah i think a, a, a genuine frustration for for people it makes it very hard um or it may make it very hard to sort of sell you know cars in the future you know your car's five year years old um yeah the car components of it work fine but what about the technology um, how yeah? How useful is that going to be? 
a pretty frustrating experience. I would imagine once you once you get used to these you know these platforms uh, to go back to a vehicle that maybe didn't have them. Yeah, and then there's the problem of those secondhand Japanese imports as well. That's going to be difficult to square with all this. Mm, mm. It's surprising that car manufacturers haven't come out with a more you know universal um, you know radio tuner and that kind of thing so that things will work you know cross cross country anywhere. But I've got a um, one year old. Golf that I brought, VW Golf Company car that I brought um, brand new last year, and the Bluetooth's really cool, and I, it was better than anything else I've had. So if, you know, I can use my phone hands-free. My phone doesn't have to be plugged in. I can have it in my pocket. Um, you know, can play all my music off my phone, everything. So I was pretty happy. But the thing that annoyed me is that it's a fifteen hundred dollar upgrade to get a button on the steering wheel to be enabled for Siri. So they go and charge you like fifteen hundred dollars if you want the Siri button working, and then I could I could be so much more capable. Um, but I think little things like that consumers will probably react pretty negatively to. So I think it's okay. But then, then I sort of think, well, I just bought a brand new car last year. It's never going to have Apple CarPlay. It's not upgradable. And then so that's kind of frustrating. Um, and then I looked at, you know, um, a weekend car um, that was sort of a, you know, bit of fun that I was thinking about buying as sort of a, a more luxury thing. And I, I just looked at it and I was like, well, I can't actually justify having a luxury car that doesn't have the nice, you know, Bluetooth stuff that's in my cheap VW so it's sort of so disappointing to go back and having to like plug in a cable or having like an aux cable or something horrible so I think it's becoming quite important. Yeah, yeah I mean I think once, once, we've, once we've flipped to this you know new world it will be pretty hard to go back won't it? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Alright, uh, now moving on um, some of the interesting bits and pieces that I, that I saw in sort of you know San Francisco seem to be crossing over with uh, with some of the services coming out here, there, are, you know, I guess, there's an app for just about everything over there, and because of the access to venture capital funding, it seems that yeah, some of the some of the new ideas people come up with uh, get funded pretty quickly, and they're able to really, you know, push push them out, and um, you know, in some cases, grow grow them around the country. Uh, but in New Zealand, we've had uh, Urban Sherpa uh, launch recently, so. That was, uh, in fact, we, we, we're getting the, uh, the, the CEO and founder of Urban Sherpa on, uh, on the podcast next week. So we'll dive in a little bit more around that one. But, but what they're providing is a, uh, a delivery service. And I guess you'll be able to, you know, fire up the, the app and, uh, you know, decide you want somebody to pick something up for you from a particular store or go and grab you some food somewhere and they'll, they'll drop it off. Um, very very new here so not the maturity that what we're seeing in the in the states and the states um postmates is the the big app and that was uh you know seemed to be reasonably popular ar- around san francisco a lot of people were talking about it and they had just done a deal with mcdonald's and a deal with uh, starbucks so you can basically jump into these apps and uh you know you're sitting at the office and you want a coffee and these guys are going to pick you up a coffee and deliver it to you uh, go and get you a meal and deliver it to you, or go into a retailer and, and pick up uh, something. In fact, uh, Apple are, were offering for people that maybe didn't want to order off the traditional Apple store, but wanted a similar experience to the, the retail store, as you could order something that was in stock at the retail store, and they had a deal going with Postmates, where Postmates would come in, pick it up out of the store stock, and deliver it straight to you at your home or office. How are you ever going to get those ten thousand steps that your Fitbit demands? <laughs> yeah, well, you're not, are you? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting, actually. A little bit of um, New Zealand slash internet history. Uh, 
I went round to Tim Wood's house probably somewhere between 15 and 20 years ago and um, Tim was a real innovator, obviously brought flat rate internet and that kind of thing, so you know the iHug brothers or whatever, but mm. um, yeah, Tim set up this service literally nearly 20 years ago that was basically a bunch of dudes on um, scooters and they'd go and pick up anything or do laundry, dry cleaning, anything and you could kind of order it through your web browser and um, iHug was developing a portal back when portals were cool and he wanted to kind yeah. of add in add in this kind of virtual uh, service and they spent a whole heap of money on it and it just was way, way, way too ahead of its time. But he had it working and, and showed me and gave me a free account and I um, started logging in and ordering Chinese takeaways and all sorts of things. But I guess just there wasn't the volume and there weren't smartphones and there's a whole lot of things. Um, but yeah, believe it or not, New Zealand actually had that service probably 20 years ago and, and Tim was uh, subsidising it heavily. So That's really cool. Well, yeah. it, it probably would have suited him, wouldn't it? You'd yeah. have someone running around after him. So uh, <laughs> uh, that's, uh, that's, that's kind of good. So uh, yeah, um, so yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how we fare in New Zealand. One of the things that, that I noticed with pretty much all of these, and you see the same with, uh, with Uber here, is that all of them have the sort of incentive for you to share it with your friends. And there's a, you know, there's a monetary incentive. So if you sh- share uh, Postmates with somebody uh, and they use the service, then you'll get $10 credit on your account. And you can try out most of these services with a bit of free credit. So you can basically just go around and you know, try out every service. And it's their way of getting users actually on, you know, on board. And because they've got plenty of venture capital funding, um, yeah, it means they grow quite quickly. It's their customer acquisition strategy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but I, I guess my concern is how's that going to work, you know, in New Zealand because the growth can be pretty slow on these types of services, and unless you're kind of given that free free taste. Uh, one of the other ones is Your Drive, uh, which is a car sharing service, and uh, that that works uh, in a similar way to some of the the, the US based ones where you can basically list your car. Uh, as available for people to uh, people to be able to rent by the hour, by the day, etc. Um, I tried that one out over the weekend, and you know the particular car that I was picking, yeah, you know, online that said it was available when I wanted it, and uh, the service actually didn't respond to me. But I sent a message to the owner of the vehicle, uh, letting them know when I wanted to try it, and they sent a message back saying, "Oh no, I'm out of town, and you know that doesn't doesn't work for me." Um, I think at the moment your drive of you know, got. I only found what, less than twenty vehicles on there, so you know it's a it's a it's very much a, a small local taste of what's being done internationally. But um, yeah, it could could be interesting when the when some of the other technology pieces sort of line up. Yeah, I mean, I guess the thing to bear in mind is with um, you know these these sort of services, effectively, internet's a, a lubricator of commerce, and what we've seen is you know things like uh, you know accessing music and accessing you know video content and things become so much more easy and seamless and um, instead of having to go down to the video store or you know buy a CD or something you can just have it immediately and that was digital content and then so what's happening is that the internet is now lubricating objects in the physical world and started with things like Airbnb so if you've got an underutilized asset you can now kind of you know put that into the digital domain and then a whole lot of people can find that so you know car sharing services and things are kind of taking the Uber model and then taking that one step further and saying, hey, I've got a, a bicycle or a car or some asset I'm not using and I want to get some sort of micropayment and facilitate it. So yeah. um, the, I think the millennial generation is going to get really used to, you know, renting in an apartment, um, you know, renting a car by the hour when they want it. Obviously, we're probably only about five years away from self-driving cars being here. So you'll just, you know, dial up a car or a truck or a van or whatever type of vehicle you want when you want it, pay by the hour, get rated depending on how well you treat the 
the thing you know get a speeding ticket automatically if you yeah. you know drive it too fast or you know whatever it is so um it's going to be a pretty <laughs> it's going to be a pretty sort of scary weird world for yeah. the older generation um and i'm going to count myself in that but yeah the millennials are going to get really used to basically sort of not owning anything and just leasing all kinds of things from property to holiday homes to cars and it's um you know really making things more affordable and, and better used which can only be good for the environment things long term because you know it's, it's stupid that most of us or everyone in New Zealand pretty much has a car, but 95% of the time they're sitting somewhere on the road in the, in the garage or whatever, not being used. So. Yeah, I think there'll be, you know, there'll be some great flow-on effects from these things, but there are some technology pieces that need to you know, fall into place. And you know, one of the car-sharing services in the US that we, uh, we talked with, yeah, they were talking about the technology that they install into each car that's going to be available on the service so they can remotely lock it and unlock it, uh, check its location, those sorts of things. And, you know, of course, we don't if if somebody's just launching a service say that's targeted at New Zealand uh, they might not ha- they might not have all of those pieces sort of available so um, you know they might be doing a, a slightly degraded version of the service but uh, yeah I think there's there's definitely still potential for it and what will ultimately happen is the vehicles will have all that technology in it so for instance the the Teslas already have all the bits and pieces that are needed so there's no third party extra you know, add-on needed to the car, it's already got the smarts that you can just light up these types of services directly. So if they're doing it, it'll be in every car yeah, within, I read a, within a short space I read like an time. insanely amazing uh, story about how, just how amazing software upgrades for the Tesla are. And there's a there's a guy in the States that just like is an absolute, you know, convert, was kind of semi-skeptical, bought a Tesla and, um, you know, then automatically the cars have software upgrades. Anyway, the, the Teslas have um, dynamic suspension and, and they can be quite low if you like to have them low and looking mean. And so anyway, this guy um, had a had a um, kind of really low driveway and every every morning he'd go up to his driveway, press the button in his car, raise the suspension to stop his uh, Tesla, you know, scraping. And then one night the Tesla uh, downloaded this, you know, software update and then the car literally next morning asked him, oh, I noticed that you raise and lower the suspension. Do you just want me to do that automatically? So now, <laughs> for now, when he approaches his driveway, the car just automatically changes the suspension, lets him know, and he's like, wow, this is insanely, it's a very, very, very super, super cool story. You know? yeah. But you can imagine they'll do a software update for, well, they're going to do a software update for self-driving, you know, automatic highway driving and all that sort of stuff, and then they're going to do one for you know, a bunch of other stuff. So it's, it's pretty crazy that actually... Um, cars are going to become, you know, a much about, as much about software upgrades as, as, as hardware. Well, I'm looking forward to the day I can share a Tesla. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that was actually one of, one of the options that I could have done was to, um, you know, to rent a Tesla by the, by the hour while I was in, in, San, Auckland. in San Francisco. Oh. Um, well, there, there was talk actually from, um, from your drive uh, that they might have a Tesla available shortly. So, um, yeah, I guess, you know, if, any of our listeners have got Teslas and uh, you'd, you'd like to uh, help other people have a little bit of a go, you can jump on your drive and, and list your vehicle or if you've got anything else uh, very unusual, maybe you've got a, a tank. I think there's a few people out in New Zealand that have got tanks and there's uh, people with you know the, the full military-grade Hummers. So there could be some interesting vehicles appear on there over the, ne- over the next little while. Yeah, Steve, Steve West in New Zealand's the real super Tesla evangelist. So he's um, had the first generation one now. He's got the... Tesla S and he's got you know friends and things so if you want to get one just google Steve West Tesla and he's like got a whole club going on and they um they have a I think they have a Tesla group in New Zealand there's about three of them now and they ship someone ship an engineer over from Australia for servicing and things initially it was obviously a little bit hard but there's now sort of a user group and I think um, well they're Ve- launched in Australia now aren't well they? Vector so. I think Vector I think is actually trying to get together yeah. and actually launch them so yeah hopefully they'll be soon that's probably going to be my next car 
Yeah, they, they, they look uh, they look pretty good. Um, now, Apple Music and Beats One has launched. So, Bill, what do you, what do you think? You've been looking at Apple Music on your iPhone. You've got a bit of a music collection there. Uh, impressed or not? Um, neutral. <laughs> neutral. Um, I, it looks quite impressive in some ways, but um, I can't find things. Um, and I'm not entirely sure what's going on with some of the um, autoplays that are coming along. Um, I do like the Beats 1 channel. I like it much more than I thought I would. So you've been listening to uh, Zane Lowe, who uh, an- announced it at launch that he's from Auckland, New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. I think it's pretty good, actually. Yeah. Did a shout-out to his, uh, his yeah. whanau. Yep. Yeah. No, good stuff. How about you, CB? No, I'm not a, not a big fan at all. And... Um, I know I've got a DJ friend actually, and um, the uh, the upgrade to uh, iTunes on his computer, whatever it is, twelve point two or something, completely stuffed his whole library. Um, but on my, I noticed on my phone and on my computer, I've lost a whole lot of album art that used to be there, which is really strange because you know I got it, the album art came from Apple anyway, so how they kind of kind of lost it, I don't know. But um, I, I was also you know saying before when we were offline, I've got probably eight thousand songs in my iTunes library, so I've paid a lot of money for music over the years and um, there doesn't seem to be any any function at all in the new music app to shuffle all songs which is something that I used to use all the time so um, I'm a real Spotify convert and I I switched to Spotify maybe a year ago and um, kind of put a lot of my albums that I like and things into Spotify and then find the interface so much better for finding music and shuffling and all that kind of thing but um, unfortunately Spotify doesn't have a lot of the tracks of weird albums and things that I own so I still go back to iTunes bits and pieces of music so I live in live in both of them and I just find the whole interface really difficult and then it was kind of trying to prompt me to sign up for Apple Music and then I thought well if I don't subscribe then is it going to try and bill me for my own music I've probably paid you know $1.99 per track so it's probably $16,000 of music in there and it, just the whole way that of the sign up and everything worked it made me feel like they were just going to convert all my music ambiguously to a streaming service and then I was going to have to pay $30 a month or something for my or twenty, you know $10 yeah. a month for my own collection that I'd already paid so I just you know, basically hated the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. No, I can, I can, uh, I can understand that. Yeah, I signed up because I wanted to, I wanted to try out Beats One, and uh, yeah, that, I mean that that seemed to work reasonably well. The you know the experience for me was okay, but I wasn't bringing in a music uh, music catalog, so you know that seems to be a big a big letdown for a lot of people. And I think it's you know disappointing that a company as capable as Apple you know wouldn't deliver a great experience from from the get go and. Yeah, of course, this isn't sort of the first try at this because, um, you know, Beats, Beats Audio has been around, uh, you know, they've been around for a while with their, uh, their streaming music service. So, uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was surprising, really. Well, yeah, I mean, I've got about 30 years collection of music, probably more than that now. And um, I have, I, I, when I looked, I still got something like 48 days of music, if you know, if you play it continuously. So it's a long time before I need to get to an unpaid track. Um, so I'm with you there for sure. Yeah. Now I want to go on to another another topic. Uh, hacking team. Now this was this is quite an interesting uh, story, and I guess not a lot of people have heard of uh, hacking team. You know, before now. Um, but you know, here here we have a, a, a you know. A group of commercial uh, hackers uh, who 
have been, uh, you know, selling their services to varying nation states in various forms. Apparently, not very nice nation states. Well, and and I think you know the point was that you know they they denied you know working maybe with um, you know certain regimes and uh, and anyway they themselves have been hacked and uh, four hundred gigabytes worth of their data has uh, spilled out onto the internet. So um, yeah, it's it's. Kind of, um, I guess it's in some ways it's a bit of a wake up call. The fact that a, an organisation that uh, sells hacking service uh, isn't able to even protect themselves. Now, some of their practices look a bit weak in terms of password uh, policies and uh, and things like that. But uh, yeah, huge amount of information uh, of theirs now online, uh, and it and it seems that uh, you know their client list was pretty broad reaching uh, from our Australian neighbours. Uh, through to Egypt, Malaysia, Mexico, Singapore, Spain, Thailand, Turkey, uh, United Arab Emirates, and uh, I think there were there were one or two one or two others uh, in in there as well. Matt, was it uh, Syria that was in the list? Well, there the was... word is, is they were they were engaged to some black hat stuff as well as mm. white hat stuff. So yes, yeah, I think very yeah, very much so. So um, yeah. Kind of fascinating. What are your thoughts on this, CV? I guess black hat and white hat is becoming uh, very ambiguous these days, yeah. and it's kind of like, are you working for Muslims or Christians or blah or this or that or the US or you know some enemy? And you know, it's it, the whole thing's becoming uh, yeah ridiculous. But um, yeah, I guess it's it's not surprising that a, a hacking team, which is probably a bunch of uh, like teenagers at the end of the day, is pretty probably lax about security anyway. So. Um, but it, it's well, this a, one's a big commercial organisation, so you know there were invoices that were, you know, half a million, you know, euros and things like like that, you know, based out of um, based out of Italy. So I'm sure they're different, um, different sure to they're, the typical sure sort of little. I'm sure their typical employee is is um, holed up in some apartment eating pizza and drinking beer, and has an average age of about seventeen, though. Um, <laughs> well, well, maybe yeah. so. I, I I did some work recently um, on what's called the um, security life cycle. And what happens is, is that there are there will be stages in that life cycle where there are very much crooked organisations, and there will be organisations like this which are sort of semi crooked, who get called in for certain parts of the job. Um, some of those people will be, will, there will be some um, you know more corporate types in amongst them, I would imagine. Yeah, well, that's. I mean, it seems that they were they were sort of get bit geared that way. Um, now, talking of um, of other news, we're always hearing about new uh, new smartphones and devices coming through. It seems to be a, a bunch that have sort of caught attention um, with varying leaks over the last week or so. Uh, we've got a BlackBerry uh, handset that's running Android, supposedly. So this is this is kind of interesting because uh, you know BlackBerry were always about being the most uh, secure, and uh, you know. Android has certainly had its, uh, you know, its fair share of, of challenges from a from a security perspective. Um, you know, whether whether it be the uh, the issue Samsung have had in uh, in, in recent weeks uh, with their, their keyboard that's been able to be uh, updated in a in a dodgy manner online, or um, you know, or, or otherwise. So, what, what's your thought, Bill? Yeah, the thing about the thing about BlackBerry is the BlackBerry hardware is actually not bad. I mean, the, the um the phones with the keyboards, the recent set, the Passport, and I forgot the name of the other one, the Classic, I think it was called, BlackBerry Classic. Um, they're, they're actually physically nice phones, but the BlackBerry software is a barrier to an awful lot of people. I mean, and even I find I find it quite hard to get, wrap my head around their um, um, user interface. 
mm. on that software. Mm. So mm. I don't know, maybe maybe the BlackBerry hardware with the um, Android software, maybe that's a cover. Yeah, we'll see. It's uh, supposedly uh, a uh, a keyboard um, uh, as well. It's Can they? Hidden, I wonder. If, I wonder if the they phone. can get the BlackBerry software on top of the Android layer. I'm sure. I'm sure there are. I mean, there are all sorts yeah. of. Um, uh, I mean, BlackBerry have been you know focusing more on the software side recently yeah. anyway, and so yeah, I mean, this make makes some sense for them maybe to offer their own handset. I'm just not sure whether it would sell in any sort of you know great numbers. They're, they're well, the not, name not doesn't, the coolest brand anymore, are they? It doesn't sort of excite anyone anymore, does it? It's not a name to conjure with. I can remember the Crackberry days when you know if you, you were nobody if you didn't have a BlackBerry. Mm. How long ago was that? Mm. That was a little while ago. CV, are you craving a, a a keyboard that you can you know feel? No, you, you, um, you know? I, I never really got into the whole BlackBerry thing, and I was never much of a kind of um, you know, super good text or anything, and I, I was a um, Apple fanboy from way back. And so, when the first iPhone came out, I was you know bang on the iPhone, and that was really you know every generation since. But it was interesting because um, probably somewhere between two or three years ago, I was in uh, the US, and all of my friends in Los Angeles still had their Blackberries and had kind of not uh, converted to iPhones. And I was really surprised because I, I sort of expected them to be you know, iPhone converts and here I was from New Zealand with my iPhone and they all my, literally all my friends in LA were, you know, on Blackberries. But the thing that I noticed is that um, it was at a time, I think I had an iPhone 4, not a 4S, and Apple had just released an iOS update and it really slowed down my phone. And so all of a sudden, you know, clicking on the text app all of a sudden was quite slow and laggy and um, didn't seem to work. And my friends seemed to be able to get away about 10 emails and texts on their Blackberries, like click, 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 click. Yep. and seems so fast and their phone seems so responsive. So then I sort of thought, oh, okay, maybe actually there is really something to this and I can see why they haven't changed. It really frustrated me that they just seem to be so fast. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I remember even that with the, when the first, uh, when the when the iPhone first came out and yeah, putting all my contacts in there, it just wasn't actually able to handle that number of contacts very well. Mm. So it was, it was really laggy at that point. So yeah, the, there were there were some times where there were big challenges, but I, you know, I think generally they're pretty uh, pretty capable these days. Mm. Um, still, yeah, you know, not not perfect. I you know see issues sometimes with uh, uh, Apple Mail, for instance. And you'll see it. For me, it seems you seem to notice it when I'm traveling, and for whatever reason, it decides to dump all your you know your entire mailbox and resync the whole thing. <laughs> um, and so you're sitting there roaming, and it's chewing through the data. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, what, what? One interesting thing is I've, I've just kind of gone from a 5S to a 6 Plus, and I resisted the 6 Plus for a while, so I just thought, oh, it's just literally too big. Um, but, uh, you know, it's taken me a week or so to get used to it, and now I absolutely love the, the iPhone 6 Plus because I don't even use my iPad anymore. And, um, yeah, I've noticed that my, my texting and everything has got so much faster because it's just you don't have to kind of really, you know, pick the tiny little characters. And I picked up my 5S the other day that still had charge in it, and I literally was just mistyping all over the place because I just couldn't, you know, touch on such a tiny screen trying to actually get a keyboard out. But the 6 Plus, you know, my, I'm sure that my texting and email is actually multiplied in speed by, you know, two or three times. Yeah, uh, so you're absolutely difference. right. About, about a month ago, I was coming back from um, overseas and I couldn't get, there, was, there wasn't enough room to get a laptop out in the in, in economy. I got the uh, 6 Plus out. I managed to get a thousand-word story written on the 6 Plus, which I would never have dreamed of doing that on an earlier phone. Mm. Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting. I think 
yeah, there's definitely some productivity benefits of the larger, you know, fine touch screens. And uh, um, I certainly, you know, struggled, you know, with earlier versions of the iPhone around just how small the keyboard, uh, you know, the keyboard was. Um, but yeah, I I think part of that is just getting used to it because uh, I find one, you know, once I, once I'm used to it, uh, it's fine. But yeah, the bigger device, you're uh, you're definitely a step up productivity wise. I'd be interested to see if you could retrofit. Android into one of those older Blackberries, say say the Passport. That would be an interesting project. I'll leave that to you to yeah. hack. You can hack in there, uh, Bill, I, and do that. I bet it. Uh, I couple, bet it's possible. Yeah, a couple of other phones. Um, the the the, uh, the successor to the One Plus One, the One Plus Two, uh, on its way soon. Um, there's been some leaked images, supposedly of the Galaxy S6 Edge. Uh, Plus, which is a, a bigger version of the um, Galaxy S six, but not much bigger. No, not a, not a whole lot bigger. No. But um, yeah, I think there, there's a, there's a sort of demand for you know multiple sizes, and of course Samsung have got the you know the Note four, and I guess we'll see a Note five within the not you know too distant future. So uh, you know there there's a sort of a gap in between there, isn't there? Um, well, I don't know. I think the um, the the, the rumoured Edge Plus is only I think point. Four of an inch bigger than the Edge. Um, the Note Five sounds a more interesting device to me. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and then there's this um, the Microsoft Lumia 940, which, as Bill, you were saying before, this sort of brings it up to spec with the latest uh, Android phones in some regards. Um, but it goes past them, I think, with a camera. I think it's a 25 megapixel camera. According to some of the reports. Oh, okay. I'd seen. I think I thought I saw twenty megapixel yeah. mention, but uh, yeah, they're going with a quad HD screen. Um, what we are starting to see coming through is the USB C connectors, uh, which is of course what's on the on the new MacBook from Apple. And you know, I think that's that will pretty much become the norm yeah. uh, going forward. Now we will get a couple of phones that use USB C, and then that will just be the the standard and it's uh, you know it's a it's a great step forward from uh, the traditional USB uh, connections. If only Apple had adopted USB C, then uh, you know you'd never have to be at your friend's place going, oh damn it, you're an you're an Android person and I've got my iPhone. Yeah, there's <laughs> st- still a bit of a challenge there, right? So uh, I've got a little little portable um, cable for for my uh, iPhone and an iPad that I can use that sort of fills in those sort of situations, but. But a bit, yeah. it would be nice if every phone in the world pretty much had the same plug and every... I mean, it's so stupid. You yeah. go into any hotel in the world now and they've got that bloody like iPhone 4 dock connector and you're like, this is so annoying that they've it's finally no good, adopted no everything and yeah. it's completely useless. Yeah. Same, yeah, it's yeah. exactly the same as the car thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. They just yeah. adopt it too late. Well, yeah, one, one size fits all power adapter for phones. What a sensible, obvious idea that is. Mm. Saves on charges, you yeah. know, saves on waste. Yeah, um, no, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, it would be great if these things were standardised. A um, couple more things. Uh, Windows 10, nearly complete, so we'll see that uh, launch at the end of the month. Uh, there's also Office 2016 for Mac and Windows, and uh, Microsoft noted, uh, I think this was early June, they mentioned they had over a million uh, testers running on those, and uh, yeah, the, the new version's uh, looking nice as there's not a, a multitude of sort of obvious uh, features, but there there are some Ooh. nice new features that I've oh. come across that I quite like. I've been using Word um, twenty sixteen on the Mac. Now oh, the Mac, it's a big jump yeah, forward. Yeah, yeah. and yep. for a, it brings it up to the, um, the in line with Windows. Yeah, in line with Windows. Yeah. Yep. 
and oh. Outlook's way better on the Mac with the 2016 oh, uh, yeah. version. I, I think I've been using it for about three months, and I've got to say, I love it, and I hated the previous Mac version. It of, was um, unusable. Word. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the other thing that it does is it integrates really nicely with OneDrive. Yeah, yeah, it's all all just you know native, isn't it? So yeah, the only nice. problem is sometimes I can't remember which folder on my OneDrive folder, uh, you know, which of my OneDrive folders I'm in, and I've got to navigate through that hierarchy, and that's a bit difficult. But otherwise, it's great. Mm. Yeah, no, there's some uh, there's some neat features there. Um, also, with Windows 10, Microsoft are rebranding Xbox Music to Groove. So before it being called Xbox Music, it was Zoom Music. So uh, they're they're still trying to work out how to win sort of market share in in that space, and uh, you know I guess they'll they'll keep chopping and well hopefully this this is the end of it. Uh, but you know Microsoft I guess have been left out in the cold there a, a little bit in terms of uh, you know mar- market share. Don't you think they should just give that one away? I think it's just it's a necessary as part. You've got to have as part of your ecosystem. You've got to have music. You've got to have movies and TV programs and. Uh, you know they're 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 doing that. They've also renamed their uh, Xbox uh, movies and and TV as well. Um, it just doesn't seem to be an area where they have strength or expertise. Or uh, yeah, it's an it's an interesting one. Um, but I guess you know if you look at BlackBerry, for instance, you know one of their downfalls was they didn't have that sort of broader yeah, ecosystem yeah, with the okay. other bits and pieces. So they kind of have to do it to tick the box. Now, um, lastly, CB, I'm quite keen to get a bit of an update on uh, what's happening in your company. What's happening in the world of uh, of Voyager? I know you, um, you know, you've you've had some growth over the last little while. I think uh, you topped the fast fifty. Was that last year? Yeah, last year. So it was super, super cool. Um, for obviously, some listeners won't know, but I used to own Orcon, and then I sold that um, to Cordia, which was a, an SOE probably eight or, eight or so years ago. And um, then Orcon's recently been sold to Call Plus, and then that's been sold to M2. So now sort of an Australian company, but um, I had a restraint of trade for four years and then decided that I loved technology and wanted to set up another ISP, so Voyager's, um, you know, my new baby. And um, yeah, we, we did uh, it was about 1,400% revenue growth over a couple of years, over the last couple of years, so we've just sort of been, um, you know, silently eating away at the market and we started out really doing uh, business wholesale and government only, um, trying to provide a really awesome service. Um, in those kind of domains, and that's that's gone pretty well. But um, I guess I'm conscious of the fact that there's a few organisations like you know DTS and um, to a certain degree Icons and Datacom that actually provide you know business internet, yep. but no one considers them to be ISPs, and so no one sort of thinks to pick up the phone and say, oh, you know, I should put my business on or that kind of thing. So um, I changed my thinking um, a few months ago, and, and Boyd has actually launched a residential service now. Um, there's, you know, to be perfectly frank, there isn't a hell of a lot of money in the residential market, but what we want to do it is as a, a branding exercise, come out with a great price and a great product. And I thought hard about um, how confusing a lot of products are. And, and um, you know, if you go to Vodafone's website and Spark's website, no offence to those organisations, but it can be pretty hard to work out, you know, that you can have a mobile phone rebate and then it's like different prices per services and all of this kind of thing. So I just said, look, we're going to have basically one, one price, which is residential internet, one product. So ADSL, VDSL, or 100 meg UFB are all the same price with Voyager. They're $69 a month. Um, and then you can add on a phone line or a, a modem or whatever you want to do. Um, and last, when I, when I brought out the product, when I looked, I think Spark was doing sort of $139 for completely flat rate um, 100 meg UFB. Um, on their website, I've noticed today they were sort of 70, $79 for starting for 30 meg. So we're 69 for 100, 100 meg. 
We've got no 40 gig, 80 gig plans. Everything's 100% flat rate. And um, because it, we've got no residential... That sounds pretty enticing, actually. Yeah, yeah um, I thought so. How does that compare with what you spend, Bill? Um, it's a lot less, actually. Mm. Um, it's worth thinking about. Yeah, so I, I guess um, where I'd like to end up is I'd just love to have sort of a you know 1% or 2% market share. I'd probably be quite happy with which would be about fifteen to 30,000. How about a customers. party when we go past all size, CB? Yeah, that, well, how about how about a party now? I'm always I'm always keen for just parties for no reason. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Um, okay, so yeah, so you so you've jumped in in that residential space, and so is it pretty easy for people to sign up? What are the what are the oddities that I guess with it being that cheap, you got to buy your modem and you know you any extras you're paying for? Yeah, it's, it's, what's um, the phone that, support? That price, or, that price is, uh, includes phone support and it's completely unlimited. Um, but it's BYO modem, BYO modem, or you can buy one from us. Yep. Okay. Um, or you can rent one for an additional fee. And if you want to add on a home phone line, you can do that. Okay. Um, but essentially, the core product is just all the same price: ADSL, VDSL, UFB, and we allow you to upgrade. So if you can't, you know, if you can only get ADSL now, and then you can get VDSL, we'll upgrade you for free. And then if you can get UFB, we can upgrade you for free. So you just sign on with us. You pay one price. You don't have to worry about data caps going over or kind of any other details. And um, Bob's your mother's brother. Yes, indeed. <laughs> That's um, it's, it's interesting though that price because given the um, the latest ruling from the Commerce Commission on copper, um, it doesn't leave a lot of space, does it? it? Doesn't leave a lot of room. Well, as I said, it's not really. Um, so I'm not treating this as so much as a marketing, uh, you know, or money making opportunity rather. But what I'd love to do is, is um, you know, have uh, I, I really enjoy providing great service, and and I think I had a reputation for doing that at Allcon, um in the days before it was sold. So. Um, I, I would really love for you to capture one or two percent market share, have have a great name as hey, if you want an alternative to the big guys, you want a, a sort of personal service with a you know Kiwi help desk, and you know you can call the CEO or you can abuse them on Twitter or whatever you want to do. Um, there's a segment of the market that will pay for that, and then of course um, that you know perception will lead on to uh, you know business sales. So our, our focus is still going to be business things, but. Um, I mean, at the moment, we and because we're 100% business, we literally have an absolute, you know, ton of bandwidth that's going unused at night. So, getting some residential customers on to balance that out would be great. Our network's virtually what well, is completely uncontended, so there's no one else on. It should be the fastest of the fast. It's interesting. Oh, that's that's going to be yeah, it's going to be fun to. Watch. I also like the idea of being able to. If I was running a business, sizable business, I like the idea of being able to have the same provider at home as at work. That's yeah, we we definitely had that. Um, so I had one, I had one company, and they, um, I hate I hate uh, turning down any business, and they were really a fan of what we were doing. Um, you know, had their business with us and that kind of thing, and then they said, "Oh yeah, I actually pay for my staff internet connection. We've got thirty staff members on Snap," and I was really bugged me. So I sort of thought, "Okay, well, I've got to launch a residential service so we can bring all of your business across." But the other thing that I'm trying to do is um, integrated with uh, Voyager. We own you know First Domains, Net24, and a bunch of other. Kind of brands that people would recognise. So um, Voyager has probably nearly 20% of the domain name registration and we're posting business in New Zealand. And our, our goal is to try and provide a really good integrated experience for businesses that, you know, you can you do domain names, your hosting, your cloud services, your, you know, uh, VMware machines and your broadband. And I think a lot of the traditional telcos, you know, they do, maybe they might do mobile and home broadband things really well. But then their, you know, domain name and hosting support is really, really poor. And then you get the hosting companies that sort of do, you know, cheap hosting and you can't get your broadband. So what I'd like Voyager to do is occupy the space where we literally can do that whole complete range of telecommunication services 
um, service you on one place, have a you know complete portal where you can manage everything. Um, and you know we're never going to be the biggest, but you know can we be the best? Well, I hope so. Good. Oh, well, it's um, it's good to get a little little bit of an update there on uh, on what's happening in the Voyager world. Yeah. Um, I guess you can't keep up that fourteen hundred percent growth for forever, and and part of that was sort of through acquisition uh, too. I'm I'm presuming. Well, the acquisitions actually, I um, I tipped a bunch of money into Voyager to get it going. So Voyager's now four years old, I think, and um, I tipped a bit of money in from my personal, you know, fortune <laughs> uh, to get it going. But <laughs> after that, after that, I haven't actually put any money in. So for the last few years, it's it's been completely self-sustaining and it's profitable now. So, um, you know, I'm really happy with that. But um, yeah, I think I was getting a little bit depressed not doing anything, and I, I love technology. So. Um, the thing that's probably different about Voyager is it's, 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 a, it's a passionate thing for me. You know, at the end of the day, I want to run a company that's the best, and I personally get a, a real zing out of people saying, "Hey, I love your company and I love your service." Um, it's not it's not there to sort of you know make another fortune or anything like that. I just really enjoy the ISP industry, basically. That's cool. That's cool. Okay, time to talk about global mode. I, I know that uh, listeners were, were quite keen to hear about this. Um, Basically, the uh, the rug's been pulled out from uh, from under us as Kiwis. Bill, what's your thoughts on this? Well, it's something interesting happened in the last week, and that is I've got a lot of emails. And when I say a lot, I mean you know half a dozen to a dozen emails from companies trying to sell me VPNs, and they start with things like, "As a global mode customer, well, I'm not, I'm not a global mode customer." So they're obviously chance in their arm. They've obviously got mailing lists from somewhere or whatever. But the number of them, and they look the chip. They're not. They're not. These are not sort of the dodgy, spammy type things. These are things that look the chip from real companies. You know, Teddy was one of them, for example. And there's a couple of VPN type operations. Um, if I'm getting hit that way, then Lord knows what's happening to Orcon's customers, um, <laughs> who will be getting a lot more of that, I would imagine. So I reckon the race is on to sell VPNs into New Zealand. Yeah, VPN and proxy services. I mean, that was the forerunner to global mode for people that wanted to access Netflix and other international, uh, you know, video services. And yeah, global mode made it very easy to access those international services. Now it's going away. You know, I guess uh, you know we have to do something. CB, what's your take on this stuff? Because you haven't had a global mode service, so obviously. Um, you know, not something that a business provider would have. But now that you're getting into the consumer space, I imagine you wouldn't want to be the only man standing with this type of service and uh, the risks that that might, um, you know, put put you at. Or no, you- well, the only the only reason that Voyager didn't launch Global Mode is I was actually nervous in anticipation that this was going to happen because it was always a little bit up in the air, and I I understood that the media providers in New Zealand were kind of unhappy. So, um, I mean, I think it's probably worth mentioning just in case there's any. Um, listeners that don't really understand the whole global mode thing, of course, um, you know the way content works with with uh, you know digital content these days is there's a sort of New Zealand Netflix and then there's US Netflix and you know they're not always or, or various services like Apple TV or you know uh, on demand or whatever streaming you know kind of service you're looking at. And so the issue that we've got globally at the moment is that not all content is released at the same time, which is like the old DVD you know reading you know region encoding type thing, and um, you know, global mode was obviously a way of, of, you know, bypassing that so that you could change your region into, you know, whatever you wanted to do. So if you're in New Zealand, you can then access US content. Now, what's happened is obviously the big content providers, so, you know, TVNZ, Spark, um, Lightbox, Sky, etc. in New Zealand have got together and then they've blocked global mode so that they've, they've stopped that. But at the end of the day, they've won for now. But the whole concept of restricting what you can watch, depending on where you are in the world, is completely stupid. And 
as I said before, you know, the internet's job is to lubricate things. And, and you know, when, um, you know, we first started down, downloading MP3s, you know, the internet lubricated that and made music accessible. And so video, because it's a, a larger file size, is sort of slightly behind that. But, I mean, it's it's really ridiculous to think that, you know, just because we're in New Zealand, you might not be able to access, you know, the latest kind of music track. That's just a completely foreign, you know, kind of concept now. And so, you know, the video guys are really just dinosaurs that are prolonging the inevitable. And so they should get over themselves. And, um, I mean, I think in two years' time, you know, if you want to watch a Japanese game show or whatever content anywhere in the world, you'll be able to do it. So this is a temporary kind of thing. It is It is temporary. Now... Have you got any uh, any guesses on you know what the agreement is that's sort of been uh, you know been met by uh, um, you know by the ISPs that have signed this agreement, Global Mode themselves, uh, and the the you know the media conglomerates that are, that that took them on uh, you know legally in, in terms of you know Sky and uh, you know, TV stations and so on. Well, I guess the, at the end of the day, the the reason that the big media companies like Sky and TVNZ got uh, annoyed with ISPs bypassing, um, you know, things is that obviously Sky and TVNZ have paid, you know, the rights to, you know, distribute shows and things and various things. But I think that whole, um, you know, model of, you know, kind of paying for a New Zealand region is going to go out the window. And effectively, um, pretty soon, you know, if you produce a TV show like, you know, Breaking Bad or something, then you'll just be able to distribute it through, um, you know, Netflix or whatever completely directly, and you'll bypass all of the big, you know, studios and things and. You'll be you'll be basically getting money from the individual consumers, not the people that are buying, you know, region things and satellite transmission and all that kind of thing in each country. So, yeah, I mean, I I would go a bit further. I'd say that if you're a studio and you sell someone exclusive rights to a country, you're the person who's being immoral because that's not it's just not possible to achieve that. You can't police that. Mm. So the idea of giving someone exclusive rights is actually a bit of a con job in itself, and and and. More to the point, those studios, they didn't turn up at Netflix and say, you know, come on, hang on, you're sending this out to New Zealand customers. Um, that, Netflix knows damn well that that's going to a New Zealand audience. So, that you know, really it's the studios that are out of order rather than those media companies. So, do, do you think there's been a big uh, payout in, uh, in one direction or another? You know, do you think the ISPs that have signed this agreement have accepted cash, uh, to to shut it down, or are they uh, are they very much under under pressure, and um, you know it's maybe the other the other way around. To I'm, uh, I'm pretty I'm 99 sure they're under duress. I mean, yeah. Voyager didn't launch Global Mode, but we got threatening letters, and you know, kind of notifying us that if we were thinking about it, it was going to be a bad idea. So we were sort of included on some of the mailing list type stuff from the the media company. So it was Does, certainly no doesn't this create an opportunity for you though, CB? You know, you got you got deep pockets. You could have stood up for for every Kiwi and just said, no, screw you. I'm going to take you on, and uh, um, you know, I'll I'll, uh, I'll I'll fight this in court for the rest of the for the rest of us that uh, might might be interested. Well, I've got deep pockets, but I don't think I've got <laughs> deep pockets as much as Spark and you know, Sky to Sky and all that kind of thing. So probably not. No, just kidding, mate. Um, yeah. yeah. All right, so you're not you're not likely to uh, to go down that track then with Voyager at this stage. Well, I mean, at, at the end of the day, global mode's been stopped. No ISP is going to provide it from September, and, and Voyager is the same. Um, so it's now back to a level playing field. Um, if there are other ways to be able to launch oh, it. Yeah, though, individual because, I mean, consumers can choose, you know, a VPN service that, that Bill was talking about, but that's a that's an individual kind of decision. It's no longer ISPs providing this, you know, well, wholesale. VPN's a little harder than using global mode. It's not. It's not a lot harder. But what it does mean is it means that people will be 
you know, Googling those letters and looking up how to, how to, how to do this. Or they can visit the uh, NZ Tech podcast site. We've got a page on uh, accessing this from before Netflix launched. So there's there's a few details there. Yeah, but it's um, um it's for, for it's not a way to win friends and influence people with at the consumer end of the market. Um, I don't think Sky in particular has done itself any favours. I mean, you don't go around threatening your customers. It's not actually a way to. It's not a good way to make money at the end of the food chain either. I mean, I you know. I've owned ISPs for years, and to be honest, when I couldn't get content, um, there were there were ways in the past of downloading that. But um, I've got a US Apple iTunes account, and since I've had that the last few years, you know, me and my wife have never um, illegally downloaded anything because we can just buy it. And, and in fact, sometimes I'm so lazy that I'll have a DVD sitting on the shelf. We're sitting there going through Apple TV, and I think, oh, I'll just buy this for ten dollars because I can't be bothered going and putting the DVD in the DVD player. So I'm like an I'm an extra consumer of uh, of content. And, um, you know, Apple gets a whole heap of revenue that they never would have got. And if, if that content wasn't available to me, um, then I'd be finding some other method to download it. So the whole global mode debacle is just going to, you know, turn up with illegal downloading, which is not going to make anyone any money. It's stupid. Yeah, yeah. Which is the danger that there will be people that will just hop back onto the illegal downloads. Yep, and, and I mean, many never left, but it... Uh yeah, that's that's the flip side of it, isn't it? All right. Um, well, good, good, good to chat through that. I was quite keen to hear your thoughts, so um, that was great. That probably just about wraps us up for uh, for this week. Bill, where do people find you on online? Keep up with uh, what you're uh, blogging about and tweeting about and um, writing about. Twitter, Bill Bennett NZ, and my website is BillBennett.co.nz. Excellent. And CB. I'm super lucky to have a very unique name. So my name is spelled S E E B Y, and I'm Twitter at CB, Instagram at CB, uh, pretty much anything at CB is me. So whatever you want to, whatever your poison is, I'm yep. at CB. Excellent. That's good. And you can track me down uh, at Paul Spain on uh, on Twitter. And uh, you can find out about the NZ Tech Podcast. Uh, also, we're on we're on Twitter and uh, nztechpodcast.com. Uh, and if you just keep a little bit of a watch on podcast.co.nz, we've uh, We've listed uh, two of our uh, next upcoming podcasts are, uh, are listed on there, and um, we've got a few other interesting yeah, podcasts that we'll be, be launching uh, following those two. So uh, yeah, we're keeping a little little bit of a watch out as uh, the podcast NZ uh, um, uh, Empire grows, shall we say, or the podcast NZ Network. So uh, yeah. Hey, thanks everyone for listening in. We'll catch you again next week. See ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.